It, it really is a, a pleasure to be here. It is my first time speaking at Capitol, as Rick said, so I'll, I'll do the uh, obligatory introduction of Joshua put up the slide for me. So I'm, I'm here in Beijing uh, with Boeing on, on a five-year assignment, supposedly, but uh, we'll see how the Lord directs. He, he's in control of that. I've uh, been here two years now, um, just past the two-year mark, and, uh, and this is my, my family. So three of my kids and my wife are here um, with me. Uh, my wife, Debbie, and on the right, uh, Michael, and then uh, uh, in the middle, Timothy in the front, and then, then Abigail next to my wife. And then Jonathan and Christine, our two uh, oldest kids, uh, are in Seattle attending the University of Washington. So, I don't know about you, but I, I already feel very blessed this morning. I, I'm just, I'm in awe of our God. Um, you know, he, he's sovereign over the great things of this world. You know, he raises up kings and kingdoms. He tears down kings and kingdoms. But he's, he's also sovereign over the little things. And, and I'm just amazed as I participate in the service this morning to see how everything flows together. I mean, all of this arranged separately, and yet God was orchestrating all of it. He had a plan and a purpose uh, for this morning. And, and if I, <clears throat> I don't choose the songs, if I had chosen the songs, I, I couldn't have chosen better. So Doug is listening to the Lord as he does that, thankfully. And then Rick's sharing, it, it dovetails right into what I'm going to share. The men's breakfast this morning really leads into what I'm going to share. So let's, uh, let's go directly into the scripture, because we're going to talk about that same, that same thing of God orchestrating um, in his church in, in the message this morning. And so let's, let's go to uh, Romans chapter 12. And I'm going to read the first uh, 13 verses. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in according with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we are many, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. 
hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, honor one another above yourselves, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with God's people who are in need, practice hospitality. So, like the, uh, in the first pa the, the passage read earlier by Joanne and Kathy from 1 Corinthians 12, um, Paul here describes the church in its ideal state. And uh, a little bit past what they read, he uses that same analogy that he uses here of the body. So he says the church in its ideal state is like a body. They're different parts. Each part has different functions. But as each, as each part uh, performs that function, the body together is able to, to, uh, to do that which God has in, intended it to do. And with the church, it's the same. There are different gifts that God has given uh, for the life of the church. And each of those are to be exercised uh, in faith. And when they're exercised in faith, God is able to accomplish his purposes uh, in the church and through the church in this world. So there are some things, um, so that my focus is going to be on, on that, that picture of the body in the end. But there, there are some things in this passage that, that, in my mind, really talk about how that, that ideal functioning of the church is enabled. Uh, and there, then there are other things that address how that, that ideal state can be hindered or you know, how the body of, of Christ can be crippled and not perform the function that God intends. And so I'm going to focus on, on those things as I go back through the passage as well. Let's, uh, let's stop and pray. Father in heaven, we thank you again for your, your word, your wonderful word. We thank you, Lord, that, that you desire and welcome a relationship with each of us. Uh, we thank you that this morning... You desire to, to speak um, to each of us, to meet with us face to face. Lord, you have words of encouragement for us. You have words of comfort, maybe words of challenge. But Lord, as, as we, we come to you this morning, we, we acknowledge our complete dependence upon you. Lord, I... Whatever I bring, even from your word, um, I can accomplish nothing apart from you. And, and Lord, as, as, we, as we all listen to your word, Lord, we, we can't hear it in truth apart from you, apart from your spirit. So we ask, Lord, that your spirit would be active among us uh, this morning, guiding and directing us, and that you would speak to each of us according to your purpose for each of us individually. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's, let's go back and start with, uh, start with verse 1. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So I think this call 
to offer ourselves as living sacrifices is, is really the, the foundational element of, of us being able to function together as the church, as God intends, to, uh, to build one another up within the church and then to accomplish God's purpose um, through his church in this world. This, this image of offering ourselves up as living sacrifices, that's, that's compelling, and what does that mean? But, uh, but before we get to that, before we talk about what that means, I want to focus a little bit on, on the, uh, the bookends around that, that call uh, of Paul to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. Um, first, he calls us to do this in view of God's mercy. And, of course, there's the therefore in the passage, and what does that point to? Well, well, we can look at the immediate context. In the previous chapter, um, toward the end, he's talking about the fact that we have all been bound over to disobedience. Um, but, but God's purpose is in that is so that he might have mercy upon us. He might show his mercy. So it's certainly focused back there, but we could, <laughs> we could really say... This is building on all of chapter 1 through 11. Paul's been making a very detailed argument about, about who we are apart from Christ. You know, that we're all sinners. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Not, not only that, but we're slaves to sin and death. We, we can't help ourselves. We can't pull ourselves out of that condition And, and so I'm not going to go, obviously, through all of chapters 1 through 11, but, but let me just um, look at one passage, Romans 5, 6 and following, that I think kind of hits some of the high points of, of the mercy that we have received from God through Christ. So Romans chapter 5, verse 6. says, You see, at just the right time when we're still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son... How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So, there are a couple things that really just jump out to me in this passage. First of all, it's while we were still powerless. You know, we had no ability, there was no, there's nothing within ourselves that we could screw ourselves up to accomplish in order to, to earn God's mercy. We were slaves to sin and death. When you're slaves, you serve <laughs> the one to whom you're a slave. And we could not pull ourselves out of that, God had to. It's while we were still powerless. And then God demonstrates his own love for this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It, was, it wasn't after we turned, but while we were still sinners. And this is true in general, overall, and it's also true, I think, for each of us individually. It's while we were still sinners 
that Christ's death became effective for us. God drew him to his, himself and enabled us to take that step where we said, Lord, I trust you with my life. We could not have done that on our own. And that's, that's the mercy that we've received. You know, Christ ultimately in the Garden of Gethsemane saying, Lord, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, but not my will, but yours be done. I mean, just imagine that, Jesus facing the cross, all that was before him. You know, is it possible for this to be taken from me? But not my will, uh, but yours be done. And as a result of that, he sheds, you know, goes all the way to the cross, sheds his blood to cleanse us from our sins and enable us to return uh, into relationship with God the Father. And then secondly, so, so uh, Paul says, you know, offer your bodies living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Now, I want to just spend a little time on that, just a translation note, because you're, you know, depending on which version you're looking at, it may some, say something a little bit differently, and different, and that's because um, this is a very difficult passage to translate from the original Greek. Um, but, but just to touch on a couple things. So when it says in the NIV, this is your spiritual act, um, the spiritual there, or other translations might say reasonable. Um, that's not the word that we usually use for spiritual. It's not pneumatikos, which, which is of the spirit, but it's actually logikos. And, and so it's, it's meaning spiritual in the sense as opposite from physical. It can mean, you know, metaphorical as opposed to physical. So metaphorically, we're offering ourselves up as living sacrifices. We're not literally jumping up on an altar. Um, so there's, there's that metaphorical sense, but it can also mean, you know, in a philosophical sense, uh, reasonable. And, and I think all of that meaning in the end is in here. And then the, the word worship, it's not, it's not the word that we normally use, you know, proskune for bow down before the Lord in worship. It's, it's actually service, latruin, uh, and it's, it's, um, it's what the priest did as he brought the sacrifice to the altar. And so, so really, you know, maybe the closest is this is your reasonable service to the Lord. Um, but, but regardless of all that, in the end, it's, it is spiritual. It's an act of worship. It's, but the, the point is that it's our reasonable response to what Christ has done for us, what God has given us through Christ, that mercy that we've received through Christ. So let's go um, turn from that to the actual, the actual call from Paul. So he, the urge, he says he, urge, he urges us to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. So, so what, what, does that, what does that mean? Um, but maybe before I get there, you know, first of all, let me ask. Do, so it, it all hinges on this response to God's mercy. And, and I wonder in my own heart at times, you know, do, do I take that mercy for granted? I think I do. A lot of times I take it for granted. We have, we have a reminder of it every month as we come to communion. But sometimes even that reminder, you know, we, we can kind of take it as routine 
and, uh, and take it for granted what Christ has done for us. But, but that, you know, what we're, what we're being asked to do to, to put ourselves on the altar as a living sacrifice, that really depends on, on a full appreciation of what God has done for us in Christ. So do, do we really, you know, do we fully appreciate that? So what does it mean to, to offer our bodies as living sacrifices? Well, you know, basically, we're, we're, not, we're not asked to, you know, step one foot up on the altar. We're, we're asked to place ourselves, our whole selves, upon the altar as a living sacrifice. You know, our, our very lives given into God's hands to do with what he will. Our plans. <laughs> so Rick talked earlier about, you know, Lord, can you bless my plans, what I'm going to do today, what I'm going to do tomorrow? No, no. Our plans become uh, sub- subservient to his plans. Our plans really go away, and, and we say, Lord, you, you accomplish your plan in my life. You do with me what you will. It's not about what I, what I will. You know, so our, our, our will is subjected um, to his when we place ourselves on, on this altar. So, so we're putting our trust, you know, fully in God when we do that. Because we're saying, you know, Lord, you lead me where you will. You, you ask of me what you will. And, and I'm, I'm going to trust you, Lord, that, that when you ask me to do something I'm uncomfortable with, <laughs> you know, it's a little bit beyond what I feel are my giftings, you are going to supply the wisdom I need to do that. You're going to supply the strength that I need to do that. Yes, it's true. I cannot do that in my own strength and wisdom. But Lord, I'm going to trust you uh, for that. And he's worthy of that trust. I mean, if you look just a few verses before where we started, you know, Paul's, Paul's response of praise to, uh, to this mercy of God from verse 33 through 36 in chapter 11 Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond, straight, beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has, or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. So, so his purposes are good. And, and he's able to, to carry out his purposes in our lives without fail if we trust him. So yes, we put our trust fully in him, but he is fully trustworthy. So the fact that it's a, a living sacrifice means that, uh, that we offer ourselves by choice, willingly. You know, up, up to the time of Christ and, and a little bit beyond in error, um, sacrifices were offered for sin, for, for, and so forth. Those, those sacrifices, those animal sacrifices, they had no choice <laughs> in the matter. They didn't say, oh, oh, me, <laughs> you Lord. But, but we're to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. It's by our will and our choice that we place ourselves on that altar and, and place our trust fully in, in our Father. Um, unfortunately, the fact that it's a living sacrifice also means that we can freely choose to step down from that altar. 
And I think if we're all honest with ourselves, we do that on a regular basis, day to day and week to week. And we need to be on our guard against that. But do we, do we trust God enough to really place our lives fully in his hands, to give him full control of our lives? I heard a story once, and maybe many of you have heard this before, so I apologize if it's repetitive, but it's a story about um, this great tightrope walker. You know, very, very, very skilled. And, and he was going to, he, he'd stretched a tightrope across the Grand Canyon, this wide gulf, you know, any, any mistake and, and death. And so the crowds came to watch, watch him walk across um, this tightrope. And, and so, so, you know, as the crowds are gathering, he says, well, you know, do you think I can do this? And they all say, yes, yes, you can do that. And so he walks across the tightrope and, and comes back. And then he, then he grabs a wheelbarrow. He says, do you, do you think I can do this pushing a wheelbarrow? And they say, yeah, yeah, you, you're, you're great. You, know, you can do that. You can, you can do that um, pushing the wheelbarrow. So he does it and comes back. Then the next question, do you think that I can do this pushing the wheelbarrow with somebody in the wheelbarrow? Oh, yeah, yeah, we, we believe, you know, you're, you're great, you know, you're very talented, you can do that. I said, okay, who's going to get in the wheelbarrow? <laughs> and, and that's what we do with God. You know, we place our trust fully in him, and he's worthy of, of that trust. He will take care of us. He will not falter as he takes us across that tightrope. We're, we're safe in his hands. Okay, verse, verse 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So this, this can be a sermon in itself, and I, I, don't, have <laughs> I don't have time um, to fully develop it, but, but our, our minds have been renewed in Christ by his act. You know, 2 Corinthians 5.17 is familiar to many of us. You know, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. But we still need to abide in Christ day by day to allow him to transform us into what we've already received in Christ. You know, that renewing of our mind. You know, otherwise we allow ourselves to be sucked in by the world and conform to its patterns. You know, pulling us off of the altar. You know, there's no, the world is not on that altar that we've placed ourselves upon. You know, when we conform to the world, we pull ourselves off of that altar and make ourselves an ineffective member of the body of Christ. But, you know, the pull of the world is strong. And, and I think it's often subtle. We don't even realize, you know, we're being conformed to the world in many cases. So we need to be on our guard against that. But if we're abiding in Christ day to day, you know, we should recognize the patterns of this world for what they are. You know, often they're very clearly self-focused, self-absorbed, self-serving. And, and if we're abiding in Christ, we'll recognize that. They're in stark contrast with the, uh, with the calling, with our calling in Christ. Um, we talked a little bit about some examples of that this morning in the men's men's breakfast, and I, I'll, I'll leave that for there, but, 
But uh, one example for me that, that's really of concern to me these days is, is this in entertainment culture that's so prevalent in our world. Um, it's per pervasive even in the church, and it's, it's a concern because it's, it's, it's kind of an acceptable ad addiction even in the church. And yet it really cripples us. It cripples the body as, as we're so consumed entertaining ourselves, seeking the next diversion that, that we're not open to what God would have us do and contribute to the body of Christ. We can become completely absorbed with the selfish pursuit of amusement, eating up all, our, all of our time and energy. You know, amusement itself, amuse without thinking, goes completely against this renewal of our mind because it's without using your mind. And, and don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to be legalistic. There's a time for amusement. There's a time to, to be entertained. Although I think much more frequently it should be in the presence of others as an act of fellowship, not, not on your own. And even then, yeah, how much do you interact when you're watching a movie? <laughs> but... So the point of not being conformed to the world from the end of verse 2 is to, to be able to recognize what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will, and to submit ourselves to it. And we can only do that when we're not conformed um, to the world. If we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, then, then it's his will that we'll seek in place of our own. So that brings us to verses 3 to 8, where Paul um, talks about the church and its ideal state being analogous to, to a body. But he starts the discussion with one more caution. So let's, let's read verses 3 to 8 in chapter 12 of Romans. It says, For the ba great, by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, uh, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. So in order for the church to be effective, to function effectively in the way that God intends, there, there has to be a diversity of spiritual gifts, and, and he gives different gifts to each of us. And then it's not just the fact that we have the gifts, but they have to be exercised uh, in his service in faith. The problem is if we forget these are gifts given by God to accomplish his purposes through us, and start to seek, seek glory for ourselves in them, then this pride creeping into the body will destroy its unity. So therefore, Paul starts out by reminding the church that these gifts have their source in him, not in us. And he calls each of us to consider ourselves in light of this with sober judgment. And, and I think really what he's saying is recognize that every good thing in you comes from me. <laughs> Understand that. Don't... Don't seek glory for yourself in that. Uh, 
Paul expands on this destructive tendency towards pride um, in the follow-on to the passage that, that Joanne and Kathy read earlier from 1 Corinthians 12. And I, I want to just go over there briefly. And, and look at, this is not the section that was read, but a little bit beyond that. Um, from verses 14 through 26. It says, now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, do not, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body but that its parts should have equal concern for one another if one part suffers every part suffers with it if one part is honored every part rejoices with it so there, there are two major categories of pride um, that are highlighted here both of which prevent the church from from functioning as god intends um, one is the pride of dissociating oneself from the body, and it doesn't go into the reasons for that. You know, it could, it could be out of a feeling of superiority, or it's, it's also pride to do that out of a feeling of inferi inferiority. You know, dismissing our own gifts that God would have us exercise in the, shift in, in the service of the church as unimportant. You know, God has given those gifts to us, and he's determined that they're important, and we need to exercise them. Paul highlights earlier back in verse 7, which was, which was read earlier, um, that to each one, that is everyone who puts their trust in Christ without exception, to each one is given the, to each one the manifestation of the spirit or spiritual gifts is given for the common good. So everyone is given spiritual gifts and they're all to be exercised in faith in the life of the church for the common good. Not for our own good, but for the common good of the church. So dismissing the gifts of others because they're less visible or not valued from the world's perspective, that's, that's destructive to the life of the church. And dismissing our own gifts, gifts for that, that same reason is also destructive and prevents the church from functioning as God intends. So back, back to Romans 12. Um, so if through pride in our gifts or looking down on the gifts of others, we seek to place ourselves on a pedestal to be admired by all, then, then just know there's no pedestal on that altar. <laughs> in order to stand on that pedestal, you need to step off of the altar, and you're no longer offering yourself as a living sacrifice. Um, last couple days, we had a, a visitor um, from, from Seattle, a friend of our, our son's from his church, and, uh, and yesterday we were sitting in the living room um, and Debbie was talking 
to Michelle, the, the visitor in the kitchen. And, and, and Abigail was down there um, at the piano, just, just touching the keys. Not, she has this beautiful piece that she plays, and, and it just it completely blesses me when, when I hear it. And I'm thinking, just play it. And, and, and the, reason I'm, the reason I'm wanting to, her to play it is not just for my, my own enjoyment, but I, I want some of that glory to be refl- reflected back on me as, as our guest appreciates that, that talent that she has, that gift. I mean, I also, I also wanted some of that glory for her, but, but definitely I was, <laughs> I was interested in that being reflected back on me. But that's, that's stepping off of the altar onto a pedestal. Um, on the other hand, whatever spiritual gifts we've been given are, are valuable and must be exercised in faith for the, for the good of the church. If any part of the body does not perform its intended function, the whole body is hampered. You know, consider some of the smallest parts of the body. Consider a thumb. You know, if that thumb refuses to function, just hangs lip, limp or leaves the body, you know, think of it on your writing hand, how much impact that's going to have on your life, on your whole body on your ability to accomplish tasks that you're given to do. You know, there are the eyes. I mean, the eye is an extraordinary thing, but we have two of them. You know, can I just not dispense with, with one of them? And, and actually, a, a good friend of ours, um, recent, um, a couple of months ago, he had an accident um, while he was pulling nails. A nail um, jumped, leaped up and, and hit him in the eye and, and, and punctured his, his eye. And, and, and my, my first thought as I heard about this, you know, is, is all of the things that, that he's passionate about doing that depend on depth perception. <laughs> but if you've only got one eye, you don't have that depth perception. You know, playing ping pong, that's what he loves to do. Um, he does karate, plays tennis. You know, I'm thinking, he's not going to be able to do those things. Thankfully, God provided healing, and he's, he's able to, to do that. But... But, uh, but we need both eyes, and we need them to work together. You know, if you break your little toe, that, <laughs> that really affects all of you. <laughs> you. You feel it in every, every part of your body. But, but I would emphasize the in-faith aspect of exercising our gifts. As, as often, I think God's calling to exercise them takes us out of our comfort zone. You know, I, I say this from personal experience, unfortunately, and a little bit of a a negative way is I've often been slow to respond to God's calling to exercise either gifts that I have or, or uh, you know, maybe sometimes you can't even necessarily, you wouldn't say that you're gifted in it, but God calls you to it. He prompts you, the Spirit prompts you to, to step in. And, and there have been times when I've been slow um, to respond. But I, I think often we're not even aware of spiritual gifts that are assigned to us, and they're not, they're not really fully given until we step out in faith in response to a need that we see in the prompting of the Spirit for us to step into that gap. So are we willing to remain on the altar wherever God leads us, whatever he asks of us? You know, do we trust that he will supply the wisdom and strength we need to do whatever he calls us to do? So that brings us to the last couple verses of our passage, and I'll, I will cut this short. I see I'm running long. Um, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. 
share with God's people who are in need, practice hospitality. So this, this is very much connected to the discussion uh, of the body of Christ, and I'd say it's even foundational. Um, going out on a little bit of a limb and using my own analogy, I, I see that, that love as the sinews and the ligaments that hold the different parts of our body together. And, uh, and Paul makes that actually very clear in the, in the uh, passage that follows, you know, earlier, 1 Corinthians 12 was read, well, what's 1 Corinthians 13? It's that, that uh, famous chapter about love. And, and he connects them, you know, he talks about the spiritual gifts, and then he, uh, he makes the point that you can have these, these gifts and exercise them in great ways, but if you have not love, love they're nothing, you are nothing. So let me, let me conclude. So, so we can only function effectively as the body of Christ if, if each one of us individually is willing to offer ourselves to God as a living sacrifice, entrusting ourselves fully to him to do with us as he will, to lead us where he would lead us, subjecting our wills to his and saying, not my will, not my will but yours be done. And, and I'd just like to ask a question. So what, what would the church look like if we all really did that? What would Capital Community Church here in Beijing look like if we all stepped out in faith and exercised the gof- gifts God has given us? I mean, I see many people doing that. I see many people stepping out and, and, uh, and using the gifts that God has given them and having a great impact on this body of believers. But I think we have room to grow. And <laughs> I didn't plan to, this, this message was not planned when I didn't know about the ministry fair and all of that, but, but what a great opportunity to, to consider in your heart of hearts, you know, Lord, what would you have me do? How would you have me serve in this body? And, and as a local church that's part of the greater church, you know, I think we also need to collectively place ourselves on that altar as a living sacrifice. You know, as a church, we can accomplish nothing in God's kingdom by acting according to our own plans, created with our own wisdom and carried out in our own strength. You know, unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you know uh, each of our hearts. You know our weaknesses. Uh, you know the gifts that you've given us that, that are to be exercised in order to give life, full life, um, to the body, in order to carry out the work of your kingdom as a church. So I just pray, Lord, that, uh, that you would help each of us um, to step out even daily, Lord, to come before you and say, Lord, I offer myself to you today as a living sacrifice. And to mean that, you know, not my will, but yours be done. Lead me where you will. Ask of me what you will. I know that you'll supply the strength I need. And, and also maybe for many of us, you know, Lord, forgive me for the times I stepped off of the altar yesterday because I wasn't willing to do this that you asked of me or I did this that was against um, your will. Bless us this morning, Lord, and, uh, and help us to, to live out your word. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.